Our second reading tonight is Genesis, the beginning of our Genesis studies, and uh, beginning at chapter 1, verse 1, going to chapter 2, verse 4, I think they said. 3, anyway. In, In the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky. And there was evening and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it, according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars, God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the sky across the expanse of the sky. Above the earth, I'm sorry. Across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, Livestock, creatures that move along the ground and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They'll be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that all that he made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. We give you thanks for this word from your holy word. Thanks, Greg, for that reading. Uh, Why don't we just take about 20 seconds to turn around, greet each other while I set myself up. All right, friends, um, let's have a look at this passage. Let's pray to God for his help. Um, Each time we turn to God's word, it's uh, always humbling, and we want to be humbled as we uh, hear what God has to say. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you do speak to us. You're God who did not remain hidden, but have revealed yourself clearly to us, uh, especially in Scripture and in your Son, Jesus. We pray, Lord, that as we come to this passage that we all know, we pray, Lord, that you might give us humble hearts, to hear what we have to learn. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, well, I'd like to begin today with a question. Now, how did the world begin? How did the world begin? I'm sure we all have our own thoughts, and hopefully it's the one of Genesis, and how things came to existence. But it's a big question, isn't it? How did the world begin? How did everything come into existence? And it's a question that all humanity have asked throughout throughout all periods of history. People have asked this question. And depending on when when you live and where you live, you might get different answers on the beginning of the world, the origins of the universe. And so if we think about our time today, the period we're living in, what's the view today on the origins of the universe? Well, what I thought I... uh, what I did anyway was to consider what our public school teaches. So I, I logged on and I checked um, what the Department of Education in Victoria, what's their curriculum in, in the science subjects. And this is what I found. So there's just a copy from their website. So there's a statement, Life on Earth is thought to have begun as simple one-celled organisms about four billion years ago. One cells with nuclei developed a billion years ago, increasingly complex multicellular organisms evolved. So that was just on their website. And another statement. The students are to demonstrate the link between natural selection and evolution. Students apply concepts of 
geological time to elaborate their explanations of both natural selection and evolution, and the origin and evolution of the universe. This is of the Victorian uh, Department of Education website. That's, that's the curriculum for our schools. And I think this will be in later years, uh, about year 10 level. So it's almost taught in our schools that, that this is fact, that the world evolved from these simple one-celled organisms billions of years ago. It's taught almost as fact. And, and, and unless kids go to a Christian school or a school, schools with CRE teachers that teach about creation, creation is not really taught as a possibility. That's the state of the situation in our city today. But different things are taught at different periods of history. And so if you were living about three and a half thousand years ago, if you were living about three and a half thousand years ago, do you know what you would be taught if you went to school then? Now, no one's that old, I'm sure, but if you were three and a half thousand years old, what were you, what were you being taught when you were younger? Well, it also depends where around the world you would be living. But just say you were living in the Middle East, around the area of an ancient area called Mesopotamia, which is modern-day Iraq, it was considered the cradle of civilization around three and a half thousand years ago. So if you were living in that period, in that area, what would you have been taught? Well, it wasn't evolution. It wasn't evolution. If you were living in that time, the prevailing belief was that the world was created. At that time, they believed that the world was created but not created in the sense that we have it here in Genesis chapter 1. They have a different view of creation. And that's because in that time, in those ancient periods, people lived with this belief of many gods, many deities of all shapes and sizes and powers. And these gods controlled all aspects of life. They controlled um, uh, every aspect. And so life back then was... Life lived out in fear. You're fearing all these different gods. Unless you worship them all and, and honour them all and love them all, it might mean that you might not have a harvest. It might mean that you might not be able to find a husband or a wife. It might mean that you might not be able to have children. So they lived in fear because there's all these gods. That was the situation about three and a half thousand years in that area. But it was these gods that were involved in creating the universe, creating the world, creating mankind. And one famous creation story that we have records of, uh, dating to around that period, it's a story uh, from the Babylonian area and, and time. It's a Babylonian creation myth. It's called Enuma Elish. Have you heard of that? Enuma Elish. Now these are... These are records, tablets found that record this story. Now I'll explain this story because this was what they believed. This was their period. This was their time. So this story, what happens? Well, in this story, there are great cosmic battles between the gods. That's what they believed. And there was this one god, the guy on the right, Marduk, he was this Babylonian god. He was the son of another god. And this god, he was asked by several gods to protect them, to save them, and to defend them against that other god on your left, uh, Tiamat. 
Now, Marduk, he agrees to protect these gods only if he's appointed their supreme ruler. And they agree, so Marduk then fights and defeats this other god. So the guy on the right defeats the guy on the left. Okay, this is their story. This is part of their creation story. And what happened after defeating Tiamat, Marduk rips a corpse in two, and that becomes the sky, the heaven and the earth. Her body, it was her corpse that became creation, became the, this, this world. He used her eyes to, to make the rivers, the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. And Marduk, this god who's powerful, goes on to defeat and kill um, Tiamat's husband, another god, Kingu, that's his name. And he uses his blood to create human beings. So this is what, this was their belief. This was the prevailing belief, creation, but that's how it happened. Uh, humans created from the blood of a dead god and humans created for the purpose of providing food for the god. They were created not to enjoy themselves, they were created to work, to work for the gods so that the gods could relax. And so that was the creation myth of the day. That was what people heard, what people were taught, and what people believed. And then we come to an account like this in Genesis. The author of Genesis writes an account in this period, in that period, into that world. And the author of Genesis writes this account and says to the world at that time, no, 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 you've got it all wrong. You see, that was the belief. They all believed this. Uh, Many gods, massive cosmic battles, and that's how the universe came about. The author of Genesis writes into that period about three and a half thousand years ago and says, you've got it all wrong. That is not how it happened. And that was one of the concerns of of the author of Genesis, why Genesis 1 was written. One of the concerns, not the only concern. And it was written to correct the belief of the time, to, to be like a polemic, to write against what they believe. And so what's this account that we're looking at, Genesis 1. Well, let's turn to our passage. So if you can have your Bibles open, Genesis 1, easy to find, apparently, first page. So Genesis 1. Well, in Genesis 1, the author's writing this as, uh, as what, uh, to show what is true and as something that is against what they believed in. And he writes and he says, there is one true God, not many gods, only one true God, and a God not involved in cosmic battles, but a God who is powerful, who creates by his word. He doesn't use material from a dead God to create the universe, but this God creates by his word and creating things out of nothing. And so let's have a look at verse 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So here we see God created the heaven and the earth. First verse, God brought things into existence. They weren't there. There was nothing there. God brought it into existence. Now what's interesting here in this first verse, the word create in Hebrew is a word It's a verb that's only applied to God's activity. 
It's never news of human activity. So only God creates. And so, and so after God has done that, God created the heavens and earth. What's the result? What's the consequence? Well, we see this in verse 2. The earth was formless and empty. It was formless and empty. So God brought things into existence. It was formless and empty. And then what did God do? Well, from verse 3 onwards, we see God starting to organize things, to put things in order, to divide things, to separate things, to name things, and to bless things. And so day one. So we'll quickly go through these seven days. Day one, what happens? Well, verse 3, God said, let there be light. And there was light. So this is day one. So God, by his powerful word, commands that there be light, and there was light. No battle, no magic, just the powerful word of God. And you can see the author of Genesis writing into that time, that culture, and saying, you've got it wrong. There was no battle. It was this one God who spoke, and it came into being. So that's day one. What about day two? Look at verse seven with me. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. And God called the expanse sky. So there is some organizing that's happening here. God brought things into existence. Now God's organizing it. He's making this expanse to separate the, the sea below to things above the, the expanse. And God called that expanse sky. And again, the author of Genesis is saying, no battles, no carcasses, no dead gods. God spoke and it happened. That was the second day. What about the third day? Well, look at verse 9. God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry, dry ground appear. And it was so. And so the focus of the third day was on the earth, the separation between the sea and the, and the land mass. So, so just think about it again. First day you had, have light and darkness. Second day you've got the sky and sea. And now the third day you've got the land and the sea. So division, separation, organization. And on this third day there was also vegetation, fruits, trees. Again, the author of Genesis writing in that time saying to them, You've got it wrong. No carcasses, no battles, just the powerful word of God. So that's day three. Now what about day four? Have a look at verse 16. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. Now something interesting happens on this day. God makes these two lights, two great lights, What's that about? What are these great lights? It's obviously talking about the sun and the moon. Now, what do you think the author of Genesis avoids calling it the sun and the moon? Well, it's because in that time, the sun and moon were worshipped as gods. They were powerful gods. They were the most powerful gods in the pantheon. And so the author of, of Genesis avoids using their names to show that these are just lights. Nothing you should be worshipping. You're wrong if you're worshipping these things. They're just lights. They were created by God for a specific task. Not to be worshipped, but just to shine as lights. And notice there this comment about the stars. Verse 16, he also made the stars. 
I mean, there are billions of stars in the night sky, but it's written here almost like a passing comment. And that's because they worship stars in that time as well. But the author of Genesis is saying, you've got it wrong. They're just stars created by God, almost like an afterthought. And so that was day four. Now what about day five? Verse 20. God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth, uh, sorry, let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. And so here we see the filling of the sky with birds and the sea with sea creatures, living creatures. Now the actual word in the Hebrew uh, for sea creature is the word dragons or sea monsters. That's the Hebrew word. What's the author getting at there? Why would he use that word as opposed to just fish? Well, you see, he's doing the same thing. He's writing to that time. He's saying, you've got it wrong. People worship dragons and sea creatures. But the author is saying, these are but creatures created by God. God is powerful, has complete sovereignty over them. And so he's writing to the Babylonians, to the people at that time, and saying, you've got it wrong. Okay, so that's day five. Now what about day six? Look at verse 25. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. So on this day, the last day of creating, there were the land animals, the livestock, the wild animals, those who crawl along the ground, and we get the dinosaurs. Do we see that? No? That's a bit controversial, isn't it? But anyway. But it's a climax. The sixth day is the climax. What everything was moving towards. Because on this day, it's also the creation of mankind. Mankind. Unique and different to the animal kingdom. Look at verse 26. God said, Let us make man in our image. In our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So here we have the creation of man and woman. Humanity, mankind. That's what humanity is made of, man and woman. And God created them in the image of God, in the likeness of God. The bears, the animals, the birds, they were not created in the image of God. It's only mankind. But what does that mean, to be created in the image of God? We see in the ancient world, kings and powerful kings, what they would do was they would create, make images and statues of themselves. And they would place it throughout their kingdom, throughout their, the era that they reigned. And they were to be symbols to show that this king is reigning, this king has dominion, has authority over that land. And so in the same way, God creating mankind in his image, God is placing humankind, people, on this earth as God's representative. To say that God is ruler, but to say that humankind are rulers under him, to rule this world under God, and to exercise dominion. That's what that idea of subduing the earth means, to exercise dominion. But to exercise dominion that, in, that reflects God, that reflect, reflects God's character. 
the one who cares for the world, who nurtures it and loves it. And so this is what we see in verses 28 and 29. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. Now this is the climax. Do you notice the difference between this account and what the people believed during that time? In Enuma Elish, the human uh, people, humanity, they were created almost as an afterthought. They were created from the blood of a dead god. And they were created so that they could serve the gods, bring food to the gods. That was what they believed. But in this account, in Genesis, man, humankind, is the pinnacle of God's creation. They're the climax of God's creation. They're God's image bearers in this world, created to be in relationship with God, to rule this world under God, to be God's vice-regent in this world. And not only that, you notice here, God provides mankind food, provides them with plants and fruits so that they could eat. God cares for humanity. God's intentional in creating mankind as the climax of, 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 of uh, creation. Very different to the belief at the time where humans were created to bring food to their gods. God here provides food for humanity. And so once again, the author of Genesis, right into that time, saying, you've got it wrong. You have it wrong. And so this is the sixth day. Everything was planned and moving towards this day. Now over these six days, I'm not sure if you've, looking at this table, I'm not sure if you've noticed that there is some genius, intentional order with this. It reflects something about God and his, his character. You see, in these six days, you see an amazing order. In the first three days, you see God forming, forming the world. He's, he's separating the light and darkness, the sky and water, and the sea and land. And then the next six day, uh, three days, he's in fact filling in those first three days. So day four, he's filling in the... Uh, the light and darkness with the star, uh, the star, sun and moon. On the fifth day, he's filling the sky and sea with birds and fish. And on the last day, he's filling the land with animals and humans. So there's an intentional order to this. It's not random. Very different to the story of the time. Creation moves towards the sixth day with the creation of man. But then there's a seventh day. Look at chapter 2 now, verse 2 and 3. The seventh day. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had began doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. So that was what God was working towards. The work of creation was not meant to go on forever. God worked and rested And that was the idea for mankind as well, that they will enjoy creation with God in God's rest. And that's the story of Genesis 1. We all know this, don't we? Quite straightforward. Nothing complicated. 
But this story speaks to the world then. This story would have been a shock to the world then. They believe in in cosmic battles between the gods, but that's not the case. So it speaks truth into a world filled with idolatry. Now, if you think about this, what consequences are there for that Babylonian way of life? If they continue living, believing in what they did, what consequences are there for them? Well, you see, living the way they did, believing what they did, meant that they had a flawed and distorted view of creation. That meant having a flawed and distorted view of God, of the world, and of humankind. If you have a wrong view of creation, you really have a wrong view of the whole of the world, of humankind itself. It meant that their lives were spent worshipping idols, fake gods, gods not concerned for them at all. It meant that their their view on the world was that it was just all incidental. It wasn't planned. It was just the result of a battle. It meant that uh, they had a very low view of human life. You see, human uh, human life, humans were not created intentionally. There, There wasn't some purpose at creating them. They were like an afterthought. And so life was meaningless, created to bring the gods food, Life was meaningless, and that's why human sacrifices was not uncommon. Life was meaningless. Offer humans as sacrifices to God. Offer children as sacrifices to God. Life was meaningless. So having a wrong view of creation meant that their life was really all messed up. And so this Genesis account speaks into that world, speaks truth into that world that this world has a powerful creator, the one who created everything with intention, with with purpose, so that God and humankind can enjoy creation. It was meant to be special. It has purpose and there is meaning in life. And so getting creation wrong meant fake God, distorted world and meaningless life. Getting creation right means you're worshipping the true God There is purpose in this world and there is meaning to life. So that's what our passage tells us. But of course, when we come to this passage, we're always thinking the things that we have been thinking about in school, at university. Now, when we think about this passage, we tend to think about science. So what does science say about this? What are we to make of it? You know, the, the things that concern so many people, I suspect these are the things that concern you. How do we make sense of this and science? The how questions of science. Now, how can Genesis be true in light of what we know from modern science? How is it possible that God can create the world in six 24-hour days? These are questions I suspect you're asking. How is it possible that there, there was light before the sun was created? The light came on Thursday, the sun came on the fourth day. How is it possible that the earth is only several thousand years old? Now there was an archbishop in Ireland, uh, he lived in the 17th century and he worked at trying to calculate, working through the genealogies of the Bible and trying to calculate how old the earth, earth is. And so he came up with uh, a, a date that the earth began from his calculations of working in Genesis. 
And this is the guy. His name is James Usher. He lived uh, 16th, 17th century. And he came up with a date that was, in fact, my birthday, 23rd of October, about 4004 BC. I'm not that old, but he came up with that date. So what do you say? Is the earth just 6,000 years old? I mean, if God did decide to create the earth on the 23rd, well, God really dedicated that to me, didn't he? But no, of course. So how can the earth be this young? Or is the earth, in fact, 4, 000, I mean, 4 billion years old, like what we saw at the beginning? Is it young? Is it old? And then what about the dinosaurs? What about them? Well, you see, this, this is a debate that has been raging for about 200 years, but more fiercely since Charles Darwin, since his work, Origin of Species. And so what are we to say? Creation is pitted against science. They can't coexist. That's what the argument is. That's what the debate is about. What are we to say? What are we to make of it? Well, it depends on how you understand Genesis. So we've already worked through Genesis. We've worked through what Genesis says, what it teaches, and and the Genesis that it was teaching, uh, what Genesis was teaching at the time it was written. So we've worked through that. So how are we meant to understand this science idea? It depends on the type of question you think Genesis is asking and answering. And so does Genesis ask the type of questions you expect in a scientific textbook? Is that what Genesis was written for? Remember, we've already heard what Genesis was written, the time frame it was written in, the time period it was written in. Well, I'm sure you would say Genesis is not a scientific textbook. It was written without the details of scientific um, understanding of physical laws. That's not its purpose. And so this means that Genesis is to be read differently to a scientific textbook. We're meant to try to understand Genesis on its own terms. And so you can't ask Genesis the questions that you expect to get from a scientific textbook. And, And the way I think about this is like picking up a book and asking a question it's not meant to answer, picking up a, a book on Master Chef cooking and asking a question, how can I be a good husband or a good wife? It's not meant to answer those questions. And that's when, what, what happens when we try to force Genesis to answer questions that it's not meant to. And so how is Genesis meant to be read? Well, it's meant to be read theologically. It's meant to be read theologically. It's not a scientific textbook. It's a book about God, about what God did, about the place of mankind in God's world. And so the way we're meant to read Genesis and the type of questions we're meant to ask is really the who and why of creation. Who created the world? Who created human beings? Why were we created? And why is there life on earth? They're the type of questions we can ask of Genesis. And this makes sense, doesn't it? Remember, we've already thought about the time period that Genesis was written in. If you remember that period, it was written to reject the ancient view of cosmic battles between the gods. It's to say, that is wrong, this is right. It was written polemically to correct false ideas. And so this means that if Genesis is to be read correctly, it's to be read the way it was intended to be read. 
the who and why of creation. We can ask those questions. But we can't go looking for the, the what and how of creation. It's not a scientific textbook. And so the big battle between Christ, many Christians, did God create the world in six literal days? Well, it could have been six 24-hour days. But you have to try to make sense of that. The, the sun and moon and the stars, they were created on the fourth day, but there was light on the first day. How do you make sense of 24-hour days? You have to make sense of it. But if that was the case, we shouldn't have any problem with that because it wasn't written as a scientific textbook. It could have been 6,000 years as opposed to six days. Psalm 90 talks about a 1,000 years is like a day to God. And if that was the case, we shouldn't have any problem with that. We're not wanting to work out the, the how of creation. We're wanting to just know the, the who and the why. But amongst Christians, there are differences of opinions in this. Old earth, young earth, six days, six million years, six billion years. There are, in fact, issues on both sides which we can't be confident of. But in the end, Genesis is a book that calls us to faith, to believe that there is a God and the God who created this world and created us. So this creation science debate is just a, a side issue. It's really a, a warped debate. It's a distorted debate because Genesis must be read on its own terms. Genesis must be read to find out the who and the why of creation. So that's Genesis 1. Side issue with science. So it seems like I'm taking the middle ground. I'm saying that I really don't know. And I'm happy uh, for Christians to say that uh, what we're trying to get out of Genesis is that God is the creator. He is the creator. He's created intentionally, purposely. Now what about thinking about this for us today? Creation is something that we still believe, Christians believe. But is it really the belief of the day, of our time, of our schools? Well, if we recall what I showed you at the beginning, what is taught in schools is that uh, Earth was thought to be started by one cell organism about four billion years ago. It does appear that it's a push away from believing in creation. And so what are we to make of that? What does it mean for our society? Well, just like in the time of Babylon, the wrong view of the beginning meant a wrong view of creation and a wrong view of life itself. And so Genesis was written to correct that wrong view, to challenge that wrong view. And just as Genesis corrected that wrong view, we need to be looking at this today and seeing this as correcting the way life is today. Genesis continues to speak to our world, to Melbourne, and to say, you've got it wrong. If we think about our city, what are the gods that are worshipped? What are the gods that are worshipped? Is it the God of the Bible? Just think about that. Our city tends to be worshipping other gods. The God of money, the God of pleasure. You see, having a wrong view of creation will lead to idolatry. But Genesis speaks to us again to correct the, right, uh, correct the view, 
to show that God is the creator of the universe. So we need to know creation rightly, that God is the creator, because that will lead to knowing life rightly. It will lead to living life as it's meant to be lived, worshipping the one true God. And just as we saw in that psalm, our passage today should lead us to say those words in Psalm 8, Our Lord, our Lord, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And that's what I think this passage is leading us to, adoring our God and worshipping him. Let's pray.